People are coming and going, and just like that, you know, there's nothing that we could do. So it's critical that we don't wait the obligatory 24 hours that they used to wait. If there was one thing he could tell us was not to act like prey. Y'all, you deserve professional hair color that makes you look your gorgeous best delivered right to your door. You can take your hair coloring at home to the next level with Madison Reed, and it starts at just $22. Women have had two options for coloring their hair for decades. That at-home color you got out of a box that's outdated or going to the time and expense of a traditional salon. Many clients of Madison Reed comment on how their new hair color has improved their lives. Women love their gorgeous, shiny, multidimensional, healthy-looking hair. This is game-changing color you can do at home. And you'll look like you just came out of the salon. Madison Reed color is unique because it's crafted by master colorists who blend nuances of light, dark, cool, and warm tones. And they create over 55 gorgeous, multidimensional shades. Find your perfect shade at madison-reed.com. Best case, worst case listeners get 10% off plus free shipping on their first color kit with code best case. That's code best case. Hello and welcome to Best Case, Worst Case. This is Jim Clemente, retired FBI profiler, former New York City prosecutor and writer-producer on CBS's Criminal Minds. And with me today is... Hi, Jim. It's Francie Hakes, former state and federal prosecutor, but you forgot something important in your introduction of yourself. What's that? Creator, co-creator of Discovery Channel's Manhunt, the Unabomber. Well, yeah, that was actually a great experience, and we're so happy that it got such great reviews and critically acclaimed. And now you, everybody can watch it on Netflix and binge the whole thing. That's right. It was a fascinating look inside the criminal mind, and that's exactly what we're going to do today on Best Case, Worst Case, is take a, a little walk inside the, the criminal mind. And back to tell us about her worst case is a very good friend of yours. Joanne Sutherland. How are you, Joanne? I'm good. How are you? Good. Thank you for coming to the East Coast Atlanta offices and headquarters of Best Case, Worst Case. Thank you for having me. That's right. And to our listeners, I just want to tell Joanne that I'm so excited to see her again. We haven't seen each other in quite a while until today. It's very exciting to have her live in the office. And we don't often get to interview people live. So we're both really excited to have her here. Are you suggesting that we interview dead people? (laughs) Oh, Jim Clemente is in a mood today, y'all. Really? Apparently. Did you just say y'all? Well, I am from Georgia. I've made that not a secret to our listeners. So I'm sure some of them are fist pumping as we speak. Really? Okay. Well, that's great. That's great. So I think we should just get started now. Yes, Joanne. Why don't you tell us what kind of case this worst case is? So the case was a missing 15-year-old girl. Okay. And did you have any idea when you got it what the circumstances around that report was? I did. um, I was actually helping another detective, Chris Helton, on the case. And he hadn't worked many children cases before, so I was trying to help him along the way. And unfortunately, we do get a lot of 15-year-old kids that 
don't want to go back home, that don't want to go back to work. But of course, they all come in as missing kids, so we okay. have to filter that. So what were you doing when this case came in? We were working another case, and it just came in as a 15-year-old missing kid, and Detective Helton said, hey, let me run this by you. And it was a 15-year-old girl who was at work, and the day before, went on break, and then disappeared. Really? She never came back to work? Right. Had she ever left work before that you knew of? She went every day, but never disappeared. So this time she went on her lunch break, but never got back to work. Well, and so this just brings up so many other cases that I know Jim worked when he was a profiler and that everyone knows about a lot of kidnap cases, missing kid cases, runaway cases. There are all kinds of protocols for that now that didn't exist in the early, say, 80s when the cases kind of first started bubbling into public attention. Now, I know in Georgia, there's a child abuse protocol and there are protocols that have to happen when there is a report of a missing child, because as Jim tells very frequently, the first few hours after a child goes missing are critically important if the child's actually been abducted to finding the child alive. Right, well, the statistics that we put together in the behavioral analysis unit say that when a child is abducted and killed, 44% of them are killed in the first hour, 73% in the first three hours, and 99% in the first 24 hours. So it's critical that we don't wait the obligatory 24 hours that they used to wait before we start looking into the type of case we have. So it's very important, I'm sure you know as an investigator who's worked these kinds of cases, that it's time dependent. We have to know immediately what kind of case we actually have because many of them come in as missing children, but there's a whole variety of ways that kids go missing. So what did you do immediately in this case? The officers on scene actually started interviewing the employees and she said that she wanted to go to a party later in the evening. So they had thought she just skipped work and went to the party. Mom was calling her, she wasn't answering. The brother was calling, wasn't answering. So everybody thought she just left work early to go to the party. And where was it she was working that she disappeared from? It was a Hispanic grocery store on Terra Boulevard in Clayton County. And had she ever left work before? She had left, but not gone. Wait, she left in the middle of the day? What do you she mean? did. Her break was like at 2 o'clock. No, but I mean break. not left work on a break, but has she ever blown off work before? No. All right, so every time that she was scheduled to be at work, she was at work. She had never gone on a break before and then not returned. That's correct. And can you describe for us a little bit... Um, I mean, I'm, I'm familiar with Terra Boulevard. Our, some of our Atlanta listeners might be. Jim, certainly not. And most of our listeners won't be. So describe for me sort of the surroundings. What are we talking about? Is this a suburban grocery store sitting in the middle of a leafy suburb? Is Terra Boulevard a busy street? Could you describe that a little bit for us? Sure. It is a long strip mall of small businesses that used to have like a value city and some pawn shops and hair and tattoo places. And her workplace was at the end. It was the Hispanic grocery store. So and it was in the shopping center. Is it a high crime area? Is it a low crime area? Is it somewhere in between? I would say it's one of our highest in Clayton County. Really? Yes. And what kind of crime? Uh, everything from robberies to snatching grabs to shootings in that area is pretty high. And what time of day was this that she went on her break? 
twelve thirty or two thirty. I can't remember if it's twelve thirty or two. Middle of the day. In Absolutely. Course. Yeah. Okay. And she's fifteen. Can you tell us anything about her in terms of her size and her ability to? protect herself and so on and so forth. I would say she's your typical 15-year-old. She's probably 5'2", 5'3", 110, 115 pounds, your normal girl, on the cell phone, went on a break to buy earrings, and then disappeared. Where did she go to buy earrings? Right next door to the grocery store was the flea market style inside the big business. So she walked from the grocery store over to her place to go get some earrings. And did you track that down and determine whether or not she made it to buy the earrings? She did. She went inside. We had the video surveillance and she was on her phone and you can see her all the time sitting there playing with her phone. And she comes out of the store and you can see it all on video surveillance. So how quickly or how long did it take you, I guess is the better question, to get that video surveillance from the time you responded to the Hispanic grocery store? The next day. So 24 hours later-ish, it took you to, to, before you had video. In the meantime, what are you all doing? We are getting with mom, getting with the brother, any family members that would have had anything to do with her, but also we're looking at all the strip malls, all of the stores, all of the places around that place for video surveillance and piecing it together. We had hundreds of hours of video from this store and that store, putting them all together and watching them just ridiculously every second, every minute, three, four hours, three, four hours after the time frame, just trying to put it all together, try to see something. Well, and that's where I think TV does a disservice with all due respect, Jim. TV does a little bit of a disservice for obvious reasons because you only have an hour long show or even a 30 minute show. But I think that our listeners may not be aware of what kind of work actually goes in to walking into that jewelry store and asking them for their video surveillance. and how long it takes for them to give it to you, how long it takes for you to watch it. I mean, you're talking about a a bunch of man hours. Well, and it's time consuming. And of course, I told you the stats a few minutes ago. I mean, every minute counts. So it's a difficult situation. You have a report of this missing girl, but when, what's the window of opportunity? When was she actually last seen? When was the last person who saw her? The work. But I thought she went into buy a... She did, but nobody remembered her. Oh, really? No. So at the little flea market, I mean, nobody within, remembered no. her buying the earrings? No. And you're talking to them within 12 hours of her walking in there? There's so much traffic in there, oh, so really? much foot traffic. Um, she's a Hispanic female. That's our Hispanic area. So she wouldn't have stood out. There was nothing special about her, you know, that would have stood out as different. Like Even she, the vendor that sold her the actual earring? There's too much traffic. Wow. It's too much traffic. So So now you're really behind the eight ball and trying to figure out what happened to this girl because the last people to see her who know her are at work. She walked out the door. And then she never came back in. She never came back. And she wasn't going to get food somewhere. She wasn't. No, it was going next door to get some earrings for her break. Okay. And so then what happened next? Well, that's when the case gets really messed up because at the nighttime, you know, the, we have the videos the next day, but that night we started getting calls that she was at a club in Atlanta. People were seeing her because we did the bolos like you're supposed to. We what, put it all a, out. What's a bolo? So the bolo is be on the lookout for. We do pictures and posters for police and citizens. So someone had seen that and said, I just saw her last night at this club. So you're getting calls, and I think another thing our listeners will be really interested in, and I get asked about this a lot, is with respect to Amber Alerts. 
people always say, well, why didn't you put out an Amber Alert? So can you explain why this case would not have been uh, eligible for an Amber Alert? At the point she walked out voluntarily, we started getting conflicting information about her wanting to go to a party. There was nothing suspicious about her being gone. 15 year old girls run away. That doesn't mean that they were kidnapped. So we have to figure out in the investigation, is there a danger? Is it a girl who just said, I'm going to my friend's house? No call, no show to mom, that's normal. What's not normal is everything else started adding up. So initially we thought that was just a 15 year old girl who wanted to go to that party and just went to the party early. But didn't you get the call the next day? No, the police responded that day. Detectives got the call the next day. Okay, so her coworkers called after she didn't come back at lunch break. Yes. Okay, so it was the same day. Well, within 30, 40 minutes of her not coming back, the police worked a part-time job there. So they knew. They had called uniform officers to do the report, but detectives don't get that report until the next day. Okay, so the next day is the same day that you got the tapes or another day after that you got the tapes, the videotapes? The day that we got the report is the day we got the tapes, yes. Okay, so what does the videotape show? Shows her coming out of the store like we thought, her playing on her phone so she's looking down. She doesn't see that there's a person standing at the back rear of her vehicle. She's approaching the driver's side door, she opens up her door, and that person now comes behind her with something in his hand she scoots from the driver's side to the passenger side, and that person gets in, and they're gone in 13 seconds. Wow. So That sounds a lot like the Carly Brucia it does. case from Florida, Jim. Right. But is there any kind of, can you tell what's in his hand? I mean, is it threatening? Do you see her behavior? What's? She slid over. There's something. You can't see it from the video. It's terrible video. Okay. But at this point, does it look like they were together or that somebody was laying in wait? That absolutely heightened everybody. I mean, that to us made it a kidnapping. Because? Because she's not reported to have left with anybody. That was not normal behavior for her to slide from driver's side to passenger side. This person was sneaking and peeking basically at the back and then come up behind her and then they were gone. Well, and she, I mean, I assume then the video did not show. You've described that as she's walking to her truck, she's looking down at her phone Presumably, if it's someone she's intending to meet and go off with, she looks up from her phone and greets the person. But it sounds like she's looking at her phone, gets right in her vehicle, and he just sort of blitzes her and shoves her aside. That's a great definition. At the time, he was behind her. She didn't even acknowledge the person until that thing is in you know, her presence, and now she's having to slide over. So, so how many hours later is this, then? That you're seeing this, or that this happened right that, after that, the jewelry store? Uh, it was the third day. Okay, so... This is the third day now you're finding out that it looks like somebody abducted her. Yes. Wow. That's, the stats are terrible at that point in terms of survival. Well, they are. And, it, of course, it just shows that, you know, we all have to do a better job. But the problem is that, like Joanne said, 15-year-old girls go off sometimes. I'm not saying they go off for that long, but they do run away. They, they run do. away from home. You never know what's... I'm sure you're thinking all sorts of reasons, like, why is she running away from home? Is she being abused at home? So as a detective, you have to keep all of those possibilities open in your mind as you're trying to investigate her disappearance. Well, so now it's, what, 48 hours after she actually disappeared that you're looking at this on videotape. Yes. So now what happens? Everybody comes in. We call everybody. We start getting the video dissected, 
not just the time frame, but we literally went back eight and 10 hours before, eight and 10 hours after, and it was just tedious. You have to physically have someone sit there watching all of these businesses eight, 10 hours before, because where'd this person come from? You know, we have to go back and that time frame was not important to us now because we saw the kidnapping. What we had to do is, who is that person? Where did they come from? So eight, 10 hours was a good start for us. And how was, how was that? You said the video wasn't good, but was it good enough to get a general description of him? Could you tell his race, age, hair color, anything? Big person, it was a human. Looked like a man in the stature, but again, you can just tell it's a human on two feet and he wasn't a thin guy. Wow. So then what happens? So we have the video and the video shows seven, eight hours before a white Cadillac had come into the shopping center and sat there. Nobody ever got out. Move a couple hours later to another spot. Move to another spot. Left about noontime that day that she was kidnapped. Came back and kept moving like nobody ever got out of this car. That raised a suspicion of one of the sergeants that was working it with us, um, Sergeant Blissett, and he's like, this car, it's, it's gotta be this car. So we started looking for a car that looked like that. A white Cadillac with a black strip, wasn't new, wasn't old, it was somewhere in the middle. You couldn't uh, tell the license number on no. it? She, she couldn't even tell you know what year it was. It was just, it was terrible video. We just knew it looked like a Cadillac. Okay. Um, so we had every police officer, every deputy sheriff, every GSP trooper looking for a vehicle that looked like that. Well, if you can imagine what that does, you get phone calls every time. Now you see 5,000 Cadillacs because right. you're looking for them. So every time one gets stopped, you get ID'd, you get checked, you get stuffed. Now you got report after report after report. So it's just so much work. It's so much work. Well, and then a white car, of course, this is the South. So certainly a white car is not going to be unique. Uh, there are tons of white cars here because of the heat. Well, and remember, we're still pinging her phone. We're still checking her phone. We're still interviewing. We haven't given up that part. This is just a lead. It may not be anything, but it sure looks like something. Um, so our captain and two of our sergeants were actually at breakfast, and the captain is just amazing. But they're sitting there talking about it, they're like, how are we going to find this? This is a needle in a haystack. He's like, you're not going to start riding over to the Hispanically populated mobile home parks. That's where our Hispanic population live. So he just started driving. So they broke from breakfast. He goes left, the other guys go right to the other complexes. And he finds one, <laughs> literally, it, it's just, it's a miracle. But he finds one that looks like it, but it has a bunch of leaves on it because of the time of the year, I think it was October, November. But it didn't look like it had been um, used. It just looked like it had been abandoned. So as he's driving, he's like, man, that car looks like it. Hmm. A kid comes out and he's like, hey, that's a nice car. Just kind of build up the the report and the kid's like yeah my dad it's my dad's and he's in jail he's like well, where's he in jail and it was like roswell or something y'all you can say goodbye to endless grocery store trips and takeout food HelloFresh has you covered. Break out of your dinner rut with our 17 seasonal chef-curated recipes each week. Did you know that HelloFresh has more five-star recipes than any other meal kit? You know you'll get something delicious. You can even add extra meals to your weekly order, as well as yummy sides like garlic bread and cookie dough. 
Who doesn't love garlic bread and cookie dough? I know I can't resist either one. You can also easily change your delivery dates. It's so flexible. You can change your food preferences or even skip a week whenever you need to if you're traveling or it's just inconvenient. I have to tell you what is getting my Southern Girl heart beating crispy hot honey chicken with chived mashed potatoes and carrots. Seriously delicious, sweet and spicy. What's not to love? For $80 off your first month of HelloFresh, go to HelloFresh.com slash bestcase80 and enter bestcase80. That's $80 off your first month of HelloFresh. It's like receiving eight meals for free. All you have to do is go to HelloFresh.com slash bestcase80 and enter bestcase80. So he calls me. He's like, Joe, I need you to call this place and find out what this guy's in jail for. So I did. It was robbery. So he had just robbed one of the nail places or hair places up there at gunpoint and zip tied our people. What in the world? So we started backtracking. When did that happen? So we found the car two days after the abduction. Okay. So one day after the abduction, this guy who owned this white Cadillac that was now covered in leaves had done a armed robbery? Yes. So he was caught up there. So we're trying to get and this. That's Roswell. So that's obviously, that's a whole different county. Well, different how far city, is that? I have no city. idea. Like what 45 minutes from Clayton. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So you have a lead now. You have a name. We do. So we send people up there. I tell the sergeants up there. I'm like, pull the evidence. See if there's anything. Because our girl's missing. Her phone's missing. All this stuff is missing. So as they're calling us, one of the um, other people, the uniform people, get a call that they found a body at an abandoned business right around the corner from her workplace. Oh, no. So the detectives go over there, and of course we believe it's it's Monica. She's wearing the exact same clothes. But because of the time delay, I mean, she has swollen so much, you really can't, you can't even make out what race she is. I mean, she's just so totally different than what we saw on the pictures. So you suspected it could be her because of her clothing, but you weren't able immediately anyway to make an ID. No. Her um, identifying marks were all covered. And by the time the Emmy and, and parents and stuff, it was several, several hours. But it didn't stop us from, you know, looking for that person. And then we realized her necklace was missing. We realized her clothes were put on after her being swollen, which was very strange we realized that she had been poked. And I say poked because she wasn't stabbed. It wasn't like, you know, you take a knife and you stab something. It was like, poke you, poke you on the chest. So to me, that was someone saying, are you alive? Are you alive? Well, it could also be peakerism. Peakerism is, um, it's sort of like a curiosity. Um, and that would indicate a, a younger kind of person or uh, an emotionally undeveloped person. So how many pokes were they with the Th knife? Three or four on the chest, on the breast only. Okay, yeah. So in the meantime, obviously at some point you determine that it's you're missing 15-year-old. Are you also still looking at the suspect who's in jail in Roswell? Sure, because she's now zip-tied, found zip-tied, and we get the lot number on the zip-ties. So, of course, they're pulling the evidence up there from his robbery, he zip-tied his people. Right. So, of course, we match up the zip-ties. Well, now that's a no-brainer. So now we get that. We get him. 
we match up his body stature to what we had on the video, because of course we didn't have good video, it matched. The car matched, his body stature matched, everything matched. So when we did the search warrant at his house... When did he come back and get that car? Were you able to determine that? The next day. He came back the day after she was abducted? Yep. And did he come back on foot? He got a taxi to drop him off. Okay. That's well, and, and her truck is missing. We found that too. Where? Down the road from where she was kidnapped from. The investigation later revealed, but he had taken that to do a robbery. He was going to do a bank robbery across the road. Someone saw him, started chasing him, so he thought, and he dumped the truck. So he decided to use her truck yep. to commit a robbery so that he would hopefully not be identified. That's right, and leave his car there because it was right across the road. He was going to dump the truck and go back to his car. But instead he got spooked because he had just kidnapped her, and then he dumped her truck in the, it was a spare and road. so, yeah, this could have been a carjacking so that he could do this robbery. Could have. I mean, that could have been the motive behind it. And then it sounds like, I mean, what did the medical examiner say about what happened to the victim? She had been strangled with the Ethernet cord that was left in the abandoned building and obviously vaginally and orally sexually assaulted. Um, and then he admitted to putting her clothes on after he had come back. So he had come back to check on her body after the fact, too, and put her, her pants back on. Yeah, That's why. Right. He strangled her. Oh, yeah, to death. And then just left her and then came back later? To check and see if she was still there. Because remember, her picture was all over the news. He was wondering if we were going to find her because it was only around the corner. Literally, it's probably maybe an eighth of a mile from where she was kidnapped from. And when we found her, I mean, it's just by luck. Some agent had gone into the house, I mean, to the uh, business, to show the business, and, you know, there she was. Yeah, well, it shows you the importance when the kid goes missing of doing a neighborhood canvas. And obviously, you know, you do it in concentric circles going out from the location, but abandoned buildings and empty places and wooded areas, those are all high-value targets to be searching. Well, and... I just wonder whether your medical evidence, whether the medical examiner was able to tell you later um, whether or not she was killed the same day she was taken or within a few hours of when she was taken. Do you, do we know that? Within hours. That's what makes it one of our worst cases because all that work, there's nothing we could have done to prevent her. Had we not been standing there and watched the kidnapping, we were doing all this work, all of this stuff, and here she was already dead. I mean, of course, if we had been there and we'd seen it, we could have done something. But there's no way for us to get there any faster, you know, than with the evidence that we were getting. Because we had terrible video. We had bad phone records. We had the truck that was missing. We had no phone, I mean, no physical witnesses that saw anything. So we were just nothing. We just had nothing. Well, let's talk a little bit about the offender, because I happen to know a secret that Mr. Clemente doesn't about this case, which I'm just going to lord over him for as long as possible. Tell me a little bit about the offender. What was he like? How old was he? Who was he? I mean, at this point now, you guys obviously have to do some investigating of him. We did. Um, we went and did the search warrant in his house and interviewed his wife and his, his kid. Wait, wait. Wife and kid? Yes. How old was the kid? Teens, 16, 18-ish. Boy or girl? Boy. How long had he been married? Six years. Six, eight years. It was, it was very long. It wasn't long at all. So was this his kid or her kid? Hers. Hmm. And so how old was he, the offender? Mid-30s. 
So not an old guy. No, no. So she said everything was fine. She said he was going to work, everything was good. Well, going to work, actually, he was out robbing. Mm -hmm. So that's what we figured out. But as I'm standing there with her, I realize, and I'm looking at her and I'm like, that necklace. <gasps> that necklace, oh my God. So I went out back, because I was looking on MySpace and uh, Facebook for her pictures, for good identifying pictures in case, you know, we had found her. And for she, Monica, Monica's identifying pictures. Yeah. yeah. And she had a butterfly necklace on her, and I remember seeing it. Well, the wife was wearing it. I was like, well, where did you get that? Her husband had given her the necklace. I was like, well, when did he do that? And it was two days ago. So I was like, okay, well, let me have that. Well, now we know 100%. We're, I mean, we're good. So and we. what about seizing the car? Did you seize the car oh, for of course. forensics? Yes, yeah. But she had never been in the car. There was nothing hidden in the car. There was nothing. No, he had I dropped mean, the car. Oh, she had never been in the car, no. yeah. So, so it, it was her truck that might have had forensics. Right. Of course. So when we found it, we were able to do all the forensics on the truck. We got his friends. He had stolen the radio out of her thing, stolen her purse when he had killed her. Her ID, her her stuff was all dropped there. So we went back and found that in the woods. And her phone. Um, and her phone, yeah. Yeah, everything. So his prints were inside the truck? Of course, everything. So you got his fingerprints from inside the truck. Did you ever go interview him? They did. Um, Detective Heldon and Detective Martin did, because I was on another case. So they went up to the city to interview him. Well, it was the easiest interview ever. Why? Because he just, like, vomited at the mouth. Everything that they thought was going to be hard, it wasn't. He was like, yeah, I did. I did this. I sat there and waited. She was on her phone. She wasn't paying attention. I waited for the right person. I went and, and did that. Drove her around the corner. Raped her. But he refused to admit to the oral sexual assault. He said just that he raped her. And then... But that's not unusual in my experience or in our experience in the BAU. There are things that personally they feel are more offensive than other things. In other words, it's okay to rape and kill a 15-year-old, but not to have oral sex with them. Absolutely, and that's what we said too, is he was so offended by that oral sexual assault, his DNA was in her mouth, of course. So we didn't even go there. We're like, okay, so you don't admit to that, that's fine, keep it moving. Well, it was so easy, we're like, something's not right. Like, this is not normal. This guy is so simply confessing to something so horrific. There's something else. So Forest Park Police Department calls us and says... And Forest Park is a city just also outside of Atlanta, kind of where the airport is. So it's kind of a sister city to where all this would have taken place. Not far at all from, from where she was raped and murdered. Five minutes from where she was. But they had called and said, Lo, we had a homicide a couple days ago. We'd like to come in because we think it's your guy. We're like... Mm -hmm. Why does an old lady homicide have anything to do with a 15-year-old kidnapping homicide? But, okay, come on in. So they watched, they listened, and he had killed that woman in Forest Park before he killed Monica. The same day? The two days before. So he killed the old woman. No one ever found out. Then he kills Monica. Of course, they drop her body. He was thinking we weren't going to find out. He's doing the robbery up there at the store the, the next day. He wanted to do the bank robbery, and we're like, there's something not He's right. He's some kind of frenzied yeah. crime spree. It's well, crazy. What were the circumstances around him killing this older woman? He went to the house. It was a historical friend. It was like a friend from, like, years ago that he needed money, wanted money, and that friend had left, but that grandmother was there. So he 
trying to get money from her. And she's like, no. Well, he just beat and stabbed her to death. But he had stabbed her 30 plus times. It was horrific. Wow, that's a lot of rage. And it sounds to me like maybe he had this sort of facade going on, telling his wife that he was going to work, that he should have been bringing home money, and now he needed to produce it. So did he ever give, obviously he's just a horrific, evil human being, but did he ever give a reason why he picked Monica? He was obviously lying in wait. You've described that conduct. Why her? What was it about her that made him pick her for this terrible crime? She was playing on her phone. She wasn't paying attention. Wasn't she was paying vulnerable attention. and available. She was easy. And what was weird is remember when I said he left and he came back? We actually have him at the store buying the uh, zip ties, buying the fake gun and the spray paint to paint it. So he left on that break for a couple hours, went to the store. It's like Walmart, I think it was. He bought it there and then came back. So he just sat there and waited. So he was hunting. I mean, he was truly hunting. He was. Long, long ago when I was in college at the University of Georgia, I took a self-defense class. And it was a former Army Ranger colonel who was teaching the class. And he had said that if there was one thing he could tell us was not to act like prey. And so what that meant was always being aware of your surroundings, looking up. And of course, that was before I'm dating myself, but before mobile phones. But it's a great lesson. It's a terrible lesson. It's a great lesson. We call it situational awareness. And people should be aware of their surroundings at all times. And you know, you don't have to be paranoid. You don't have to be scared all the time. But when you're alert and aware, when you're in public, when you're going into places where you don't have friends with you, where where you're particularly vulnerable, I mean, and it can happen in the middle of the day in front of, you said it's a very busy store, and it can happen in 13 seconds or five seconds in the sure. case of Carly Bruccia. So, yeah, everybody, listen to this. Make sure you don't make yourself easy prey. Not that anybody contributes to their own victimization. Of course not. But the fact is that you can help prevent it by being more situationally aware. Why don't you tell us, Joanne, why this was the worst case? One, her age. It's 15 years old. We all have kids. We all have nieces. And that cell phone, that cell phone is what made him target her. And all these kids have them. You walk out here right now, you see people on their phones, and you're thinking, really? You can be kidnapped and murdered because you're not paying attention and you're playing on your phone. That's just like you said. I mean, we don't contribute to our own demise. You know, God forbid if we were a victim. But seriously, like, you could be raped and murdered because you're on your phone. So what we do is we, just like you said, that that ranger guy, it is situational awareness. You've got to act like you're watching them. You may not see anybody. Keep your eyes straight. Walk with a purpose. You, you're by yourself. She was literally eight, ten parking spots from her business. Eight, ten, twenty parking spots from the store where she had just got earrings. People were coming and going. And just like that, you know, there's nothing that we could do because he just drove around, went to an abandoned building and killed her within the first couple hours, nobody even realized that she was a missing kid in danger because 15-year-olds don't go back to work sometimes. They don't go home. When we figured it out, it was just, it was too late. Well, I certainly understand why this is a worst case. It's a terrible case full of evil, 
Wow. Well, I can't tell you how much we appreciate your coming in and sharing with us and with our listeners what is truly behind police lines information about how these kinds of cases unfold and the impact that it has on those who are working them. Thank you very much, Joanne. For now, we're signing off on best case, worst case. Best Case, Worst Case is an XG production. Produced by Jim Clementi at Empire Studios, LA. Engineered and edited by Mike Thal. Music composed and performed by Simba Sumba. And hosted by Wonder. You can listen to Best Case, Worst Case on your favorite listening app. We are on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to do something about child sexual abuse, Darkness Delight can help. Did you know that more than 90% of the time children are sexually abused by someone they know? Jim, this isn't about stranger danger. It's about learning the true risks. Darkness to Light's training can help prevent, recognize, and react to child sexual abuse in your community. When you make the decision to get involved, kids can be protected. It starts with you. Visit www.d2l.org to take the training and learn more. That's d, the number two, l.org. Oh,